Welcome to Access Utah. This is Sherry Quinn. Cache Valley is known for its great outdoor beauty and in the last decade, its smoggy winters. A few days a year, Logan has some of the worst air pollution in the nation. One of the problems here of living in Cache Valley, this is a narrow, high-altitude valley that has very little air exchange. So we have a couple of little outlets that allow air to move in and out unless there's a big storm that comes in and moves things out and clears the air. Today on the program, we feature Dr. Roger Coulomb, professor of toxicology at Utah State University. I was always interested in solving human and animal diseases, especially those that are caused by natural or synthetic chemicals in our environment. And, you know, I was coming of age when the Environmental Protection Agency was established by a Republican president, Richard Nixon, and the Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act. Those are those are things that I thought government should be doing and, and I thought was a good role of government to make our nation and our world a, a healthier place to live. And those were things that spoke to me. And it was a long, circuitous path to get where I am today, but those are, are the things that formed my early interest in, in my academic endeavors. Dr. Coulomb had experience with air pollution as a child growing up in California. I've actually been studying pulmonary biochemistry and toxicology for my entire career. But when air pollution measurements began in Cache Valley, it became clear fairly quickly we had a significant problem. And I grew up in the Los Angeles area in a, in a city called Claremont, California, and right up against the mountains. And and growing up there, often we wouldn't be able to see the mountains because of uh, the photochemical haze, or we called smog. And so after many years, I came here and thinking, well, we've got clean air, but it's not really clean, in, especially in the winter. And we have actually year-round air quality problems now. But um, So I became interested in studying our particular brand of air pollution about 10 years ago. And so with colleagues at Utah State and, and uh, other institutions in the United States and around the world, uh, we began studying Cache Valley air pollution. And it turns out that, you know, we're in the big leagues. We're right up there with some of the the most polluted cities in the world. Uh, not quite in the league of uh, places like Beijing and Shanghai, but um, certainly in the United States, we have on many occasions throughout the year, the worst air in the country. You know, we, we try to make our research relevant. Professors around the world try to uh, make every attempt to make their research relevant. And this is a, a project that I found particularly um, uh, fulfilling because we can solve problems that are right here in our own backyard. Is the problem much worse in the winter? It is worse in the winter for particulate matter. Uh, we're starting to inch up in some other measure or other chemicals like ozone and volatile organics and and our PM problem, even in the summer, is not zero. And but you're, you're correct. We we have uh, seasonal problems in particulate air pollution that begin roughly in December and end in late March, early April. Sometimes our bad air is com- compared to super populated cities like Beijing or Mexico City. And isn't the particulate matter in those places still much higher year round? Then in Cache Valley? They're often higher, Beijing in particular, yes. Uh, Mexico City tends to be quite high. We, on the other hand, you know, our problems are particularly worse in the wintertime. Beijing has had some astronomical numbers in the two, three, four hundred micrograms and higher 
Is the air pollution problem in Cache Valley consistently bad? What is the average? Well, it just depends on the year. So two years ago, we had particularly clean air, which was good for health, and actually bad for us because we were in the middle of a, a clinical trial at the time. But um, we are in official non-compliance with the EPA National Air Quality Standards. It's a 24-hour average, and the current standard is 35 micrograms per cubic meter of air. And on occasion, such as last winter, we inch up to 80, 85, 90, and above. Uh, back in 2003, 2004, we were about 131 micrograms. So that gives you a sense of where, where we've been and where we're going. And so we are officially non-compliant uh, according to the Environmental Protection Agency, the Clean Air Act. And so these are laws that kick in when uh, regions, locales, communities have not done a good job in taking care of their own backyard, so to speak. Can you discuss the details of the study and what stage you are at? Yes. We're finishing up writing some articles for scientific journals. We're, we're continuing uh, data analysis. We're performing what, what are called translational studies. So we do research in the laboratory using cultured cells, in our case, human airway cells that we culture, and then we can get particulate matter, and this is collected by my friend and colleague Randy Martin in the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering. And so uh, throughout the winter months particularly, he'll, he'll collect uh, particles for us to take into the lab and do what we call gene expression studies. We, so we study in the Petri plate, so to speak, uh, the effects of our particulate matter, our pollution on human airway cells. And this enables us to go into the clinic then so we know what to look for in the blood of human volunteers that are exposed to ambient air. So taking it out of the laboratory, moving it into the clinic, and we're doing both of that. And then we are beginning, we're beginning to work with, well, my colleague Rosalind Brain in the uh, College of Natural Resources in some outreach efforts to inform residents on uh, ways that they can protect themselves from the air, and then ways that we can work as a community together to reduce this pollutant from the air we breathe and make us all healthier. Were you surprised with the initial results of the study, and particularly the data indicating an increase in cardiovascular problems and d due to the pollution? Well, not really surprised. We have professional relationships with colleagues at other universities that send us particles, and so we can compare Cache Valley particulate matter with others. And it turns out uh, that part, I, we, we were surprised about that Cache Valley particulate matter is at least what we see in the Petri plate. It induces indicators and what we call disease biomarkers of that are predictive of uh, cardiovascular disease, cardiopulmonary disease, and a variety of other human ailments. So what we what we do then is it gives us a sense of what markers we look for in the blood of people that we collect from individuals that are exposed just on a normal day-to-day -day basis during the winter. And so what we have found in humans is, is that um, even in the short term, there is a significant, statistically significant decline in pulmonary function. So measures of pulmonary function like um, forest expiratory volume, forest expiratory volume in the first second. And so this is where our volunteers blow into a tube and we can measure basically the, the lungs ability to uh, inflate and exchange oxygen. And interestingly, we found uh, something that 
we discovered in the Petri plate, and that is a protein called C-reactive protein. And this is a, a universal predictive indicator of impending or possible cardiovascular and cardiopulmonary disease. So this is something that, for example, in the ER, if someone is complaining of chest pains or um, someone has actually had a heart attack, they'll measure C-reactive protein in a person's blood. And we see elevations of C-reactive protein in people exposed to Cache Valley pollution, even in the short term and also in the long term. But this is that was the part, to, to answer your question specifically, that was the part that was very surprising to us, that something even when the there was modest elevations of Cache Valley particulate matter, we saw elevations in C-reactive protein, along with other disease markers, uh, what we call interleukins, cytokines, and things like this. And these tend to be quite variable, but um, that that was one thing we did see. So, so to recap that, um, the data, and this is after two clinical trials, and some of your listeners might remember that we put out a call uh, and we've advertised. And we've, so we've done two clinical trials, one in the winter of 2010-2011 uh, and the second one in the winter of 2011-2012. Um, and we've seen these effects reproduced and repeated in, in Cache Valley. And so right now we're planning to do a much larger trial with roughly 240 individuals. So to get a, a bit more confidence in our observations, it's always, um, well, scientifically important to increase your sample size, which is what we propose to do now. Just how much exposure does it take? Well, toxicologists call short-term, well, the word we use is acute toxicology or acute effects, and that's typically up to 24 hours exposure. And our results have been repeated in numerous other studies um, there's, there was a large review published uh, two years ago from data taken from studies in 16 cities showing the exact same thing. In other words, uh, you don't have to wait around for 10 years or even two weeks for effects to occur. They can occur within hours of, 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 of exposure to ambient pollution. How soon after exposure to bad air can symptoms occur? From many studies around the world and, and studies done here in Utah, not in Cache Valley, but in Utah County, in the Salt Lake Valley, and in, in uh, cities like Houston and other cities in the eastern United States, effects can occur fairly rapidly. Uh, the effects can also last for a lifetime. In fact, there's uh, th some fairly concrete risk estimates in terms of shortening of lifespan, of increased diseases, of increased hospitalizations for heart attacks, asthma attacks that can occur in the short term, as well as cancer in the long term. So particulate matter is, is thought to cause both short-term effects or acute effects in the first 24 hours, but also what we call chronic effects. And these are lifetime effects such as cancer, um, actually, particulate matter, this is just a recent, uh, some recent articles, recent research that indicates that it might be a risk factor in Alzheimer's disease as well as um, autism. So we have uh, an autism uh, spike here or at least a, a higher incidence of autism here in Utah. And this is one interesting thing that other people are looking at as well, that, that perhaps this might be one risk factor for the observation we see in um in autism rates here in Utah. A lot of the studies have been done in, in the Provo area, so Utah County. 
And this was during the time, um, some of you might remember, when we had, well, when Geneva Steel was up and running, you know, probably the worst place, one of the worst places in the world you'd want to put a steel mill because of the, the topography and the, and the weather patterns. But it turned out that, um, that when the steel mill was running, that the health impact, in other words, the cost to people, the cost to society for the adverse health effects far outweighed any economic benefit that Utah County observed from having a running steel mill. This is work of, a, of a, an outstanding colleague, Arden Pope. He's an epidemiologist at BYU, and he's, he's quite active in this field. In fact, he's a, he's a world-recognized leader in, this, in epidemiology. He and colleagues have began this research about 15, 20 years ago. And so a lot of the work that we know about in terms of the human health impacts of particulate matter here in Utah come from Arden Pope and his colleagues. Can you recognize the pollution with the naked eye? Generally, you can see the particulate matter. It diffracts light, and so it looks sort of murky and cloudy. I've had people email me and call me, uh, Cache Valley residents, long-term residents, and say, well, you know, even when I was, uh, you know, 60, 70 years ago when I was a youngster, we had inversions here, and the, and the air was kind of cloudy. Well, that's true. In fact, before the, the, the arrival of, of human beings here in Cache Valley, there were inversions. It's just that we're now putting toxic chemicals into it because of our automobiles and um, intense agricultural activity here in Cache Valley. You know, I might also mention that we've done some risk estimates in terms of putting the risk to breathing Cache Valley air pollution in terms that we can all understand. And uh, the closest we can come to right now at this point is that when the air is roughly about 35 micrograms, in other words, right on the cusp of being a red air day. Um, that's equivalent to being in a house with a smoker who smokes about a pack and a half of cigarettes a day. When that PM level approaches 75 micrograms, for example, in a, in a serious red air day, this is equi roughly equivalent to uh, living in a household with a smoker who smokes two and a half, two to two and a half packs of cigarettes a day. So th this is breathing secondhand smoke. And we know from many studies, research done for uh, 40 and 50 years, that secondhand smoke is a risk factor, not just for cancer, but more importantly for a whole host of cardiovascular, cardiopulmonary diseases. So this is this is something that, that we've calculated with the help of my colleagues that that we, we know the particulate matter in a, a single cigarette, how much that generates in the environment. And so this is, um, and we know the risk associated with that. So this is, this is something that we've calculated and we think it's, it's, a, it's a workable rule of thumb to, to give people a sense of the kind of risk that is, is posed. Is there a safe amount of particulate matter that we can live with? Importantly, what we found and what the research fairly convincingly indicates now is that much of the damage that occurs due to particulate matter occurs at the very small doses. So there appears to be no safe threshold, even though the Environmental Protection Agency has, has put the limit at 35 micrograms per cubic meter. The 16-city study published two years ago shows that much of the damage occurs much at much lower concentrations. The good news is, however, because we have a steep dose response curve at the lower concentrations of particulate matter, that very small 
reductions in PM 2.5 such that would occur if we had a vehicle emissions testing program that that Randy Martin, my colleague, Dr. Randy Martin, has predicted would reduce our PM 2.5 burden by 4 to 10 to 12 percent. We know that this will reap big gains in in improved health here in Cache Valley if we could do just that one thing. So these incremental changes are very important. And it, and it belies or it argues against the, the stance that, that I hear many times is that, well, um, you know, the, the 15 to $20 charge that, that would be imposed upon our citizens through a vehicle emissions testing program uh, really wouldn't give us much benefit because it would only reduce PM 2.5 up to 10%. Well, that's not all that much. Well, the research indicates otherwise, and very strongly it indicates otherwise, that that small incremental reductions in PM 2.5 reap big benefits in, in human health. With an increase in cardiovascular and pulmonary problems and visits to the doctor, how much is it costing local health care? A colleague of mine, Dr. Ed Red, who's now a state representative, did uh, some calculations about the, the cost in, in medical costs to Cache Valley residents during a season, so during a winter of PM 2.5 outbreaks. And it was roughly, it was, I think it was roughly $24 million in, in health costs. Is asthma the most common problem associated with the air pollution? We can compare our experience with other locales where rigorous epidemiology and clinical studies have been done. And so, yes, asthma is, is one of the, the main impacts, but also heart attacks, hospital visits for stroke, a variety of cardiovascular, cardiopulmonary diseases. And I mentioned there appears to be a link uh, that is being investigated with autism and Alzheimer's disease. And children and the elderly, are they most vulnerable? I would say that because it's true. Those are high-risk groups, children, people with pre-existing medical conditions, and the elderly. But that doesn't say that the rest of us are, are uh, off the hook. It's just that they are slightly greater risk than we are. What can people do to minimize their exposure on bad air days? We haven't done too good of a job of cleaning up our air outside. So what I would say, we, we do know, and Dr. Martin probably mentioned this to you, that uh, the PM 2.5, when you go indoors, and the measurements he's done indicate that uh, there's a roughly a 75% decline of PM 2.5 concentration indoors. So the best we can do other than say, other than recommend people to wear respirators and to avoid strenuous activity outside is don't go outside, stay indoors. And, you know, that's, that's a horrible thing to say in a, in a place such as, as beautiful as Cache Valley, but that's probably the best we can do right now to say, well, don't go outdoors. And certainly don't do anything strenuous to increase the amount of air that you take in. Will drinking more fluids or taking supplements combat the health effects of exposure? You know, there's some things we can do, many things we can do to to reduce the PM 2.5 in Cache Valley. And Dr. Martin probably mentioned those to you. But in terms of protecting one's health, uh, I really don't think drinking more fluids is going to do anything. In fact, we, we did a study two years ago with, um, uh, so I worked with Mike Lefebvre um, and his colleagues, and we, we tested the hypothesis that, that um, a vitamin and supplement pack could protect people against 
the adverse effects of PM 2.5. And uh, we're just finishing this paper now and preparing to submit it for publication. But what we found was that the people that took the dietary supplements were actually sicker than those who didn't. And in fact, and, and this is something we really weren't looking for, we weren't expecting, but it's actually uh, from research done in the last 10 years, most vitamin and mineral supplements actually make people sicker than healthier. In fact, an article, a cover story in, in Consumer Reports, and this is validated from research, is that no major diseases have been shown to be cured or prevented through vitamin and mineral supplements. Sherry Quinn, Access Utah. Stay tuned for Science Questions up next. <laughs> 